0: My philosophy is uh, curiosity, interest, and excitement, right? Mm. You get them on the phone, they're curious, right? That first 30 minutes, right? The first 30 minutes that that discovery call, whatever you want to call it, you've got to convert them from curiosity to interest,
1: Everyone, George Soto here, and you're watching Demo Diaries. Today, I'm joined by Zach Lukovics, who is an enterprise sales rep at Sumo Logic. How are you, Zach?
0: Dory, I'm doing well. How about yourself?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat. It's a it's a nice day out here in Miami, and uh, I'm excited. I'm gonna go to yoga here in a little bit because I found that yoga is like awesome for keeping me, uh, you know, like fully expressed and inspired. And, and uh, I like to run a lot too. And if I don't mm. uh, do yoga, I get all cramped up and stuff. So I'm, I'm excited. I'm going to hop off this call in a little bit and head up, hit uh, up yoga.
0: Right on. I have a, I have a newfound respect for yoga. My wife has been, she's uh, 16 weeks pregnant and her outlet is yoga. So nice. she's got me doing the, the bends and the turns and i'm I'm just about able to touch the toes. so it's been a uh, it's been a real it's been a really good experience. I can see the uh, how helpful it is, right, from a physical and mental perspective for sure. totally so
1: absolutely. not a lot of
0: running goes here in Oregon, though, right? Because it's about <laughs> thirty six degrees and overcast so. right now, right? yeah I,
1: well, I got into yoga when I was living in New York City. I was in SDR at a Martech startup there. This is probably two thousand and eight. Uh, and I got into a fist fight with this like the staff of a pizza joint and they broke my arm because they hit me with a baseball bat it really sucked you know i had a couple beers and you know and and it got out of hand but uh but i i was just sitting there in the hospital i was like i can't i can't do this i'm a professional i gotta go to work tomorrow and so i was like all right i need something first of all to recover from that and then second of all uh for to like, you know, find some kind of way to like, not lose it like that, right? Um, So that's how I got into yoga. But anyways, um, why don't Uh, don't you tell folks a little bit about your career background? How did you get into sales, uh, specifically like, you know, tech sales? Mm -hmm. And then now you're also an advisor at Pudding, which is a, you know, up and coming, actually it's been around for a couple of years now, but um, it's really now this category is emerging, of course, the pre-sales yeah Uh, stack
0: yeah yeah sure I'd love to I mean you know it's crazy right we all have different journeys in our lives mine I think isn't any more unique than another but I went to school I graduated with a business and computer science degree I thought I was going to be an engineer Um, I don't know how I fell into sales but uh, I ended up I remember I graduated back in 2008 2009 it was during the crash the only job I could find was a job to to sell jeans at Lucky Brand jeans, and um, that was really kind of my first soiree into what a formal sales program looks like. Uh, six months into it, man, I just, I just couldn't do it. Right, I couldn't keep just the the, the retail world. I have so much respect for those folks, but I, it just wasn't me. So Tough. I ended up, I ended up through a through through my network, which um, I don't think any of us would be where we are without a good network. Um, ended up finding finding a home at a unified communications company called Ring Central, and I ha- and uh, started off as their second U.S. based sales rep. I haven't looked back since. So, I've been selling software technology solutions now for about twelve years. Um, I've worked across the unified communications, uh, financial services, um, and cybersecurity space over the course of those twelve years. Um, right after Ring Central, I actually ended up starting my own company. It was a Salesforce consultancy. Um, as part of that, I was helping organizations either implement or re-implement and optimize or just really help train executives and other leadership on how to properly adopt the, the data and information that they were reading out of Salesforce. And so I ended up having a pretty good exit there. I sold my company to my client base to, uh, to another consultancy and then move back into the call it the SAS technology world um, into financial services. And then cybersecurity is where I am and it's what I'm in love with. So I don't think I'll, um, I'll it'll always be a part of what I do, but um, that's a little snapshot into my my career path.
1: Nice. So you so to a lot of different personas sales, HR, you know, financial organizations, now IT security, any nuances now selling to like a more technical persona? Like is the sales process, the conversation, discovery, these, these sort of things a little different now?
0: You know, it, it, I think every, every vertical in terms of the buyer has their own methodology, right? The way that they wanna buy. One of the things that I've learned over the course of the last 12 years, and I've, I've definitely noted is that a lot of these buyers, they themselves take a very much, very much a diagnostic approach to how they run their own business, right? So if you're a financial services person, maybe you're running commission management for an organization, right? If you mispay somebody in their commission, which we all know not to mess with salespeople's money, right? You're going to have to take a form of a diagnostic approach to how to solve to fix it, right? So sales rep didn't get paid. I need to figure out why, right? That type of approach is something in sales that we do as well, right? So I think there's a somewhat of a mutual understanding when it comes to the buyer and the seller, right? And how... They recognize and understand that we too need to take a diagnostic approach to whether or not it makes sense to work together, right? So I think that one of the things I like about even just working with technical um, buyers and and buyer personas is that, you know, I can get away with asking questions, right? I think upfront, right, the first you know 30 minutes to an hour that the first interaction we have with these folks, um, they have a they have a respect for some of the stuff we need to do. Right, they recognize that we need to ask certain types of questions in order to really better understand if it makes sense to work together. Right, I think there's a there's a fine line between having an organic conversation about, um, you know, having an organic conversation, asking the right questions, and understanding their business to turning it into a, you know, call it a Spanish Inquisition, almost mm. an interrogation. Right, yeah. but ultimately, right, the personas in terms of buyers, right, they. In my experience, most of them, if you're transparent and open, no matter if it's a financial services uh, individual or a unified communications or cybersecurity, most of those folks will have the patience for us to do our own diagnostics um, upfront.
1: Interesting, because I think that there is this notion that technical like stakeholders, developers, these sort of folks don't like to talk to humans. And so they like to kind of like kick the tires on technology you know, and then when they're ready, you know, as a last resort, you know, speak to a sales rep. And, you know, if I think about my time selling, I, I did a little stint at MongoDB really early about 10 years ago or so when they launched their West Coast office, I was back in the in the Bay Area at that time. And I remember like we didn't do traditional outbound, right? Like we had, at that time it was 10 and it was the company and then MongoDB was the open source product. And so we would only reach out to folks that were actively using the open source product and then sell them services, right? Now I know it's uh, a quite different business. And of course the brand is different, but like if you reached out to folks who, and these were developers who were not using technology, it was very rare that they would respond. How are you finding like prospecting? Are you doing fine? Like, are you doing prospecting right now? Or do you have an SDR that does that and then tease it up for you?
0: Yeah, I think there's there's that that's such a big thing to unpack. I think at the end of the day there's a lot of research around um you know buyers are 60, 70, 80% through their journey before they pick up the phone and call you. Um, and that's if they pick up the phone and call you, right? I think there's uh, a a, a Every company has their own demand gen, right? Every company has their own brand and awareness. And it really is a, it takes a village to get that person on the phone sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yes, I am absolutely prospecting. Um, I've got a team behind me that's helping generate opportunities and converting that to revenue. I've got an SDR org that uh, is really focused on the outbound Um I've got a market demand gen team that's really trying to drive the inbounds, um, But in terms of just the buyer and and how or the the person on the other side of the table or on the other side of the phone, right? Yeah, you're right. A lot of these technologists, um, because they're so savvy with technology, they're not necessarily always going to want to talk to the sales guy or the sales gal, right? Uh, they typically have enough confidence that they believe they can evaluate a software and buy a software without too much interaction with a sales professional. Um, and that can be a struggle for a lot of sales prof- sales reps because on, on one side of the table, you have uh, sales leadership um, and you've got a team of people who are investing a ton of time, money, and effort into creating a, a selling process, right? How, when we do get that person on the phone, How are we going to sell to them? How are we going to hold, walk them through our process? And uh, it's tough, right? Because we have this, this whole program around driving, um, driving the customer through this process. But at the other side of the table, you have a customer and I, when I say customer and prospect who has their own process right they have their own vision on how they want to evaluate and procure your software Uh, there are common standards around how people buy in terms of the paper process and the procurement process and the negotiation but up front you know every person that i talk to has a certain a different level of patience for the discovery Mm. right how how much in a 30-minute call how much of that time can I get away interrogating them with questions Mm -hmm. versus uh, boring them with slides or wowing them with a demo, right. In 30 minutes. Right. Um, And on one side, right. We, we have a fiduciary responsibility as a selling community to really evangelize and pitch our product the way that we see the world. And from the feedback we get from our customers. But at the end of the day, that buyer is sitting there saying, you know, I know what's in it for me and here's how I want to do things. So it's, it's, I call it perfect harmony, right? If you can get in harmony with the buyer in terms of what they and how they want to evaluate and you can carry over some of the fiduciaries in terms of responsibilities uh, that we have as a selling org and marry that up well with what the buyer wants and it's always about the buyer, you just get a much more seamless experience. Um, And I will go to the grave to say this, but uh, first impressions go a long way, right? That first 30 minute, 60 minute call if there's if if you're in a competitive deal, which most deals in this market are, and there's feature parity, function parity with price parity, like pretty much an apples to apples, what's truly going to differentiate yourself is the fact that people buy from people they like, mm. right? So that My first thirty minute, say that. yeah, that first thirty minute call, that first sixty minute, that experience uh, from that person you're selling to, they're going to remember that, right? They're going to remember when Zach and Jorge, Zach at Sumo and Jorge at, you know, say Splunk, they're going to remember that first call and that, that, that cadence, that professionalism. They're going to remember that and say, you know what? I like working with Zach. I want to work with Zach because he really showed me that he cared about my process and cared about what I want and and created a very organic, seamless process to helping me get to that ideal state. So did, and, you know, Splunk did a good job or his competitor did a good job, but the end of the day they tried to force this process that's not my process and Mm. i didn't like that and so they're going to buy from me right it's a natural you know people buy from people they like and it's consumer behavior 101
1: you know you said forcing like the prospect into a particular process are you talking like hey this is how our technology does it you should do this versus you know, sort of building the story or the talk track or even the demo around what you know they need based on maybe some discovery or maybe some research you could have done uh, beforehand?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's more of like at every single company I've worked with, um, they've put a lot of time and effort behind creating a pitch deck, right? Mm-hmm. They put a lot, they, they put a lot of time into when, what is the timing best for a demo, right? Do we hold the demo back until the second call? And that's a behavior they introduce from a top-down point of view. And unfortunately, what happens is that's not how everybody consumes things. I'm a visual person. I hate reading, right? Mm -hmm. I hate, you know, I, I dislike reading. I don't hate it. I read a lot, but I dislike it, right? If I can see it and touch it and use it, like that's how I consume information. And unfortunately, on on you know a lot of even the more mature sellers, right? There's a spectrum of maturity. A lot of times, as sales professionals, we get into the situation where we know that, that we need to go through good discovery, and we know we need to get answers to questions to help us better uh, frame our demo and better f- you know frame the conversation. We also know that our company needs us to really introduce this pitch deck. Honestly, I've seen pitch decks that are like 30 slides long, right? And you're like, no way am I going to be able to accomplish this 30 slides or 15 or 10 slides in the matter of 30 to 60 minutes. So on one side, we know that we have that pressure in terms of process from our, uh, the executive leadership team. But at the same time, we know that this person is not on the call because they were forced to be on the call right? They're, for, they're on the call because there's a genuine sense of curiosity, right? They're very curious in terms of what you do, and they already have a preconceived notion. So why don't we just take that and drive with that and organically show how we're able to fulfill those uh, requirements, right? And that's typically, in my my candid opinion, that's typically where uh, a, a, a demo can come in really handy, right? I think that... Um, Sales reps, I've seen as a sales leader, but also someone that carries a bag, I've seen sales professionals get really nervous, right? When they get to that teetering point of too much discovery, right? I feel like I need to ask all these questions because my company wants me to ask these questions, and they're getting to a point where it's turning into interrogation. You know, oh, shoot, we've got 15 minutes left. I need to get into the pitch deck right? You've already lost the prospect because you've been asking too many questions, right? You, 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 you feel like you've been forcing these things to the prospect and now you're getting into a pitch deck. That's probably going to get you run up right on time, right? That 30 minute, that 29 minutes and 30 minutes. And it's like, well, you know, that's not necessarily always the best thing to do, right? Because if you've got a great product and they've, you know, you've done your due diligence in terms of, you know, spending the first few minutes, um, really understanding their current state and, you know, key key capabilities and requirements, right? It's not, un, it's never unhealthy to show them a quick, uh, a quick, you know, five minute, here's what you could have mm. um, teaser. And my philosophy is uh, curiosity, interest and excitement, right? Mm. You get them on the phone, they're curious, right? That first 30 minutes, right? The first 30 minutes that, t- that discovery call, whatever you want to call it, You've got to convert them from curiosity to interest, right? If you can take them from curiosity, and if in some companies will say, okay, a demo is next. Let's set up an hour, and you know that's going to be a situation where it's interest to excitement. <clears throat> but if you can take somebody from curiosity, interest, and excitement in a 30-minute call, because your product is so just so sweet, right? Visually, right? You're accelerating your sales opportunity um, and getting closer to that, you know. That number you have to hit sooner than later, um, and I think that's somewhat of a, a shift in how consumers are behaving, uh, especially with a lot of the his legacy or you know existing sales processes becoming very um, drawn out and uh, just boring. Um, yeah, so yeah, totally.
1: well, you know, of course we're a big advocate of what we call the Harbor tour the micro demo here. Obviously that's part of what we offer as a piece of technology, allowing folks with a couple clicks to create that. I don't want to make this a pitch for reprise, but it, it really sort of like, you know, is in line with, with what I'm seeing, uh, in my head as you discuss this. And of course we've been evangelizing this speaking of the demo when do you know you've done a good demo? Like what does a great demo look like?
0: So, when I, I mean, perfect harmony, right? I touched on it earlier. My perfect harmony is when the customer on the other side is say, hey, can we set up a demo with my friends, right? Or my peers, my colleagues, right? When the customer comes and suggests next steps, that's when I know I did a great job, mm. right? And rather than me coming in and prescribing what we should do next, Uh, I've ran great meetings and great demos. And that person on the other side said, Hey, I want to show this to my friends, friends, meeting colleagues and coworkers. And that for me, uh, is, is a leading indicator that I did a good job.
1: Awesome. So folks out there look out for that. Right. And when they say something like, Oh, well, you know, we'll think about it or we'll get back to you or, "Hmm," you know, nothing, then maybe Mm -hmm. you have to rethink What do you do at that point? Like when you know you screwed up, when you know you've done a 25 minute demo because you got too excited and you sort of blanked or maybe you had back to back meetings the last two weeks and you didn't prepare. And now you're kind of you got that like feeling in your gut. You know, we've all been there. Mm -hmm. We're like, oh, man, we we think we blew it. What's Mm -hmm. what do you typically do to sort of get them back on the rails?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's that coulda, shoulda, woulda situation, right? Like yeah. I could have done this, I should have done that, but I didn't. And it definitely presents a difficult a, a difficult, uh, a difficult um, thing for any sales professional. Like what do we do if we didn't do a great job at running a demo? Um, I'm a super transparent person. I, I genuinely, whether it's the, I've sold to CEOs at Fortune 50s. I've sold to some very, what would be intimidating folks in the community from a um, better, like you did a bad demo, like you, you probably aren't going to take another meeting type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it's more of, you know, I'll, I'll fall on my own sword, right? I'll, I'll say, hey, listen, I think we, I rushed, you know, I'll just transparent. I rushed mm. I rushed too fast into this, right? I didn't spend enough time, you know, shame on me, right? I didn't spend enough time pr- preparing. I didn't spend enough time learning a little bit more about, you know, learning more about you. I just, you know, got on the call, asked a couple questions, ran into a pitch deck and showed you the product. Like that was on me. Mm-hmm. Um, can we, can we, can we have a do-over? Right. I'm, I'm, I'm totally fine with asking for a do-over and typically what um, what'll happen is they'll say, yes, I've never really had anybody say no. Um, but my do-over ask is, can we involve more people? Mm-hmm. Right. I think, can we get a better, can we get a bigger audience? Right. If, if we're going to do this over again, can we invite some people on your team who would touch the product, interact with the product in some way, shape or form? And get their opinion and do it again, and that's I pretty that. much how, how I'll run it. Yeah. Awesome,
1: Zach. Just real quick, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I know you're advising Pudding. Uh, what does the technology do, and uh, you know, what w- w- why are you so excited about it? I mean, you're obviously taking time to advise the team there.
0: Yeah, so with Pudding Man, I think it's Pudding is a it's. Putting is one of those things where like, it's a result of of so much, so many years of blood, sweat, and tears going into the pre-sales proof of concept process. Um, And it's really about, I mean, what? it's really about streamlining the the proof of concept process, right? How do you better manage the proof of concept process from a standard perspective? And as a seller, I've been a part of several uh, uh, proof of concepts where we've won and lost and I think the the thing that I really appreciate about what Vic and his team have built is they basically help automate a lot of the the, the steps and requirements and things that go into building a really strong scope um, and really keeping your process on rails from an automated perspective versus uh, living and breathing within uh, you know Google spreadsheets and word documents and uh, it just creates a real good uh, approach to standardizing the POC process. And the output of that that I really appreciate and feedback that I've you know shared with Vic is when you introduce a standard, it creates a, a measurable situation, right? And as a sales leader in the past and someone who carries a bag now with someone with, with folks in sales leadership that are looking at me when I'm running POVs, they wanna know what's working and what's not. And especially in such a competitive market, where there's a ton of money being thrown at sales tools like forecasting tools and CRMs and lead generation systems. There's really no money. Sales
1: engagement. Sales
0: engagement. There's not a lot of money being spent. And really what's the most critical part of the sales process, which is, Hey, Mr. Mr. And Mrs. Customer, here's access to our tool we need you to test it the way we think you should test it because we know if you do, we're going to win your business. And unfortunately, there's no tool that helps really facilitate that process. Mm-hmm. And then also helps leadership and, and product teams really take that and make sure that it's optimized, right? If I know as a customer, as a, as a, as a company that I'm in, I'm competing against X competitor and I'm losing 90% of the time. I want to know why not if it's product-based, but are we skipping steps, right? Do we have a champion? Every time, we, every time we're running a deal and we don't have a champion, we're losing 90% of the time. I wanna know that every, against ex-competitor, mm-hmm. right? I wanna know if we're running a deal and every, we don't have a strong mutual plan and they don't agree to it before the proof of concept, right? I wanna know how many POCs we're losing or winning based on those types of examples. And there really is no reporting tool or technology out there. Uh, some have tried to accomplish it in Salesforce, but it's just not built for that type of, type of scenario. So um, it's, you know, love the platform, love what he's doing. And I, I see a lot of really good stuff ahead.
1: Nice. Oh, shout yeah. out to uh, to Vic and his team, yeah. Zach. Thank you yeah. so so much for taking the time to chat today. If folks want to follow you on social media, maybe learn more about what you're up to. What are some good like social handles or URLs to reach you?
0: You know i uh, I deleted my Instagram. I deleted my Facebook over a year ago. I haven't downloaded it since. But if you, <laughs> yeah, yeah, if you want to follow me, you can see me on uh, just catch me on LinkedIn, Zach Lakovics
1: awesome cool well thanks again and uh have a great day hope to meet you in person
0: yeah we'll, we'll get out there if, if, if it means a trip to Miami I'm not you know I won't argue with that man
1: I'll look for some it security prospects for you here it's apparently the ecosystem is uh, is exploding this is my hometown so I'm excited if it's true and you know at least on Twitter it's true right
0: yeah so. exactly no it's a beautiful place if I ever get down there man I'll definitely knock on your door cool man well have a
1: great afternoon thanks so much
0: Right on. Cheers. See you.